0: are listening to a podcast from The National. The Future Investment Initiative kicked off in Riyadh this week with many eyes in the region and outside looking at the event and asking how will the Saudi investment landscape be adjusted or altered or evolved in the wake of this week's events. This is Mustafa Al-Rawi. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the Nationals newsroom in Abu Dhabi. With me is Chris Nelson, Assistant Business Editor. Welcome, Chris.
1: Good afternoon, Mustafa. Uh,
0: So as I was saying, um, the big news is the Future Investment Initiative. Uh, This has been uh, a landmark uh, conference, very much putting Saudi Arabia in the shop window for international and regional investors, but also uh, creating a place where uh, other countries and other sort of parties can also show the Saudis that perhaps there's an opportunity for their outbound investment too, through the organisers, the Sovereign Wealth Fund, the Public Investment Fund. Now, of course, the political issues that are going on at the moment um, have uh, raised a lot more questions. Um, The killing of Jamal uh, Khashoggi in the Istanbul consulate has somewhat cast a cloud or at least appeared to in the build up to the events. Um, we'll, in a little bit, we'll talk to our correspondent, Saramad Khan, about what's going on in Riyadh. He's down there at the conference. But in the last 24 hours, it seems that um, the, the aspect of investment itself is not being uh, stopped or somehow stalled as a result of the wider political picture, but in fact is evolving perhaps because uh, the absence of a lot of big names from the US and Europe uh, has left room for the uh, French, perhaps, mm-hmm. as, as other countries, the Russians, mm-hmm. the Chinese, other guys to come in and say, not just we, we see you as partners always, uh, but also to say, you know what, maybe us rather than Silicon Valley mm-hmm. or other aspects of maybe Western economies is where you should be putting your money to.
1: Absolutely. And I, th- I think, you know, you look, you look off earlier um, uh, announcements, you know, for instance, for Neom, the, the $500 billion uh, mega city. Um, those kind of things grab the attention of, of um, players outside of the region um, who, as you say, can use the, the uh, future investment initiative as not only uh, a way to, to showcase their own events, but to maybe look for opportunities within those kind of developments which are obviously going to expand over the period of the 2030 vision. Um, and it, it, it was interesting that whilst we're talking about the, uh, the potential um political cloud that may or may not have been, well, it was there. Um, Whilst some senior executives, really, you know, CEOs and senior, senior executives from from some of the big banks didn't turn up, for instance, they all sent mid-range and uh, lower range um, execs. So, it was a way. It was a way of them kind of having both the cake and eat it. They're going, "Oh, it's a terrible, terrible thing." And look, we're making a big point about it. But actually, we really want to do some business here. So. It,
0: it, it's interesting because I, I'm not sure that'll cut it. Because, the, for example, the Russian direct uh, investment fund, the um, uh, head headed by Kirill Dimitrov, uh, he was v- he was very vocal mm. about uh, the strength of, of of Saudi Arabia as a partner. Um, Total's uh, chief executive Cedric Poyan, equally. Um, unequivocal about mm-hmm. how they feel about Saudi Arabia yeah. as, as an investment partner. And w- within the conference itself, um, we, we had various high-profile Saudis um, who, who, who said, you know, we, we, we're beginning to see who our, who our ideal partners are mm-hmm. and who aren't, who's going to be with us uh, during, in the words of the Energy Minister Khaled al-Falah, mm-hmm. a crisis and who won't be with us during yeah. the crisis. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, it's, I guess it's, you know, if we talk about the evolving investment landscape, th- there'll be beginning to be new priorities. You know, longer term, what would be the the impact of events in the last few weeks and months? Um, you, you think about a year ago when they had this event for the first time. You would say U.S. investors, U.S. companies in the box seat for yeah. tapping into Vision 2030 in Saudi. The opportunities there, but also of being targets of investment. You had the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman doing a tour of the U.S., meeting with big uh, CEOs. Mm-hmm. Um, out there, uh, and and kind of talking about the, the possible opportunities he met with Donald Trump in the White House, of course, and they talk about various deals between the two countries. So you could not envisage that perhaps the momentum would have shifted, as it has now, to where, uh, you know, Russian investors, Russian investments, Russian related deals, mm-hmm. other Asian countries um, would, would necessarily be the ones that that will probably go ahead and and, and maybe win a, a greater share of the business. Go.
1: I think it's been it's been an interesting shift over the past twelve months since since the last one. Um, I think also the rest of the world, aside from the U.S., um, has kind of woken up to the fact that uh, you know twenty thirty and and what's going on in in the economy in Saudi and and in the wider region. Um, is something to be taken extremely seriously as, as a possible opportunity, both for internal investment or for taking, uh, you know, investment from the PIF. I mean, you look at uh, Japan SoftBank, for instance. It was only in the past six or seven months that, uh, that the PIF got involved there. And, I mean, it's already invested in six, 50, 60 companies, you know, to the tune of around $45 billion. Um, and how does, that, how does that then reflect in the sense that, the, 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 in that case, the usually tech uh, orientated, but how does that tech come back to to Saudi Arabia? How does uh, it, it's not just a case of making money, you know? It's not. Just, I don't think now it's a case of Saudi Saudi Arabia looking at those opportunities and going, yeah, the returns on investment will be massive. That's great. I think there's much more to it now, and I think the the, the Saudi Arabians are more aware of the fact that. Um, Outside, there there are equal, if not more interesting opportunities outside of the U.S. Um, Of course, the U.S. will always be an extremely important player. Well, it's
0: the law of unintended consequences, really. I mean, you know, you can't really uh, understand at the moment in such a short space of time what some of those investment decisions, both inbound and outbound, will ultimately mean for both, you know, the Vision 2030, Mm -hmm. but also... Other industries. So you Mm. talk about the SoftBank uh, Vision Fund, uh, 100 billion deployed in total. Mm. Uh, A big chunk of that is the PIF, of course. But how would that affect? ultimately where the tech sector goes mm. and and how that develops if there are there is a change in investment rationale. You know, maybe some target companies might not want the Vision Fund anymore to, mm. to come in and invest for them. And equally, the Vision Fund may look at, at other markets because of what's been going on, um, you know, since the PIF is such an important player. Mm. Um, but also, as you quite rightly say, the US has its key attributes. But I would argue as well that uh, what could be a beneficial consequence of these changes is that they dis- diversify the, uh, broad, br- and broaden the landscape of investors that come in on Vision 2030. I mean, we don't know what happens politically in the US. We don't know what happens economically. The last thing that Saudi Arabia wants, because its reforms and its economic diversification has to happen no matter what, mm-hmm. given mm-hmm. what's going yeah. on yeah. here in the wider region. The last thing it would want is to be beholden to one particular economy and we don't know what happens in the future. Yeah. So maybe the benefit will be if they diversify a little bit their base, a bit more from Asia, a bit more from Russia, elsewhere. That in the future that might insulate them from any unforeseen shocks and crises. The the unknown unknowns, yes. to quote the poet laureate Donald <laughs> Rumsfeld. But um, the you know the and and also there is an, another point which is that if you're not necessarily as clued in or as plugged into some of the, the, the US Silicon Valley guys, you might not necessarily be at the cusp of some of the, 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 the frontier technology. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to accept that um, as much as China's very strong and other economies are very strong, it, the US still has the lead in high tech. I and think and, and it will well, continue to do so Europe for some has, time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think so. Yeah. And uh, it's not something that, um, that Saudi Arabia can, can uh, afford to ignore, obviously. Um, but as you say, it'll be interesting to see the involvement of of the outlook by you know such as the PIF um, as countries such as as China. Yes, at the moment, okay, it's behind the U.S. Japan. Yes, at the moment, in in high tech sectors, is probably still is still behind the U.S. But that's changing rapidly. I mean, that is changing fast. Um, you know, and and Europe's interest in in alternative markets other than the U.S. For instance, today Daimler um, announced its um, its joint venture with Geely, the Chinese car maker Geely, to launch its own ride-hailing app in China. So these these kind of maybe ten years ago, Daimler would have thought, "Well, we'll do it in the U.S." Or, or you know, so, and that, so I think it's it's not only uh, limited to Saudi Arabia. Look, looking to widen its its uh, base of, of potential income and, and investments. I think that's probably true of of many large organizations um, globally I think and it, it could well be off the back of the fact that perhaps mr. Trump is perceived, uh, is perceived as um, a little less reliable shall we say?
0: Uh, let's speak to Saramud Khan, or let's hear from Saramud Khan rather, our, one of our business correspondents who went down to Riyadh for the Future Investment Initiative. Um, I caught up with him uh, earlier today, just before he was about to head down for the second day of the conference, and we discussed uh, some of the deals that had been agreed or announced um, in the first day, what that means and, and what to look forward to for the rest of the uh, the time he's there.
2: Sarmed, uh thanks for talking to us. Uh, I know it was a very busy first day of the conference in Riyadh yesterday. Um, one of the things that came out of the reporting um, was that there was a very strong uh, statement of um, intent in terms of partnership coming out of Russia and countries like France, um, you know, particularly the Russian uh, direct investment fund. Uh, their CEO uh, said that Saudi Arabia is a partner, not just in oil, but in um, in other sectors. And Total's, Uh, Chief uh, Cédric Pouillard, pretty much echoed the same sentiment. You've seen, at least sentiment-wise in the last 24 hours, that that perhaps for Vision 2030 projects, it is the Russians and the the French and other investors that have kind of stolen a march on U.S. companies' investors that might have been in pole position uh, a year ago.
3: It certainly seems like the case, Mustafa. And thanks for having me uh, uh, on the on the show. Uh, what I've seen is is not only the R D F, uh, it's the Malaysian and the Chinese major major presence, and uh, the major Russian banks there as well. Uh, R D I F, the Russian Direct Investment Fund, was there. Their CEO was very complimentary uh, of Vision uh, Twenty Thirty, and then. Uh, he has come with uh, a 30-strong uh, delegation of Russian businessmen. So there were a lot of meetings that were happening uh, on the sidelines. So, yes, it seems like that uh, the American companies uh, that were lining up for a lot of business uh, coming out of Vision 2030 are not exactly in the right seat at the moment. It's more of an Asian and uh, Russian show at the moment. And we we heard there were sort of preliminary agreements
2: agreed for around 36 deals, um, something in the region of $50 billion. These all could or could not happen down the line, but again, statements of intent. Um, almost half of them were related to Saudi Aramco, um, with a number of deals with a number of companies um, worth um, over in excess of $30 billion. Um, but beyond oil and gas, which seems an obvious Area in which the Saudis would bring in partners, partners, um, and 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 we'll come to kind of the petrochemicals downstream um, eventually because that's important. Yeah. But apart from oil and gas, did you see other sectors that might that might be benefiting down the
3: line? Yes, transport is 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 one major sector, and there were a few. Uh, 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 mous and and some deals signed uh 50 50 billion dollars worth of deals were signed uh yesterday mous and deals and 34 billion of that have actually gone to energy sector so the rest are in transport and uh, and the mining sector and it's kind of uh, uh, contrary to vision 2030 because they want to diversify away from uh, from oil and uh, and develop the other sectors but then Oil still remains the major engine of uh, uh, Saudi growth. So, yes, of course, there will be uh, a heavy portion of those deals going to, to Aramco and energy sector, but uh, uh, mining and transport, uh, rail network, this is something that Saudi really wants to develop very quickly.
2: Uh, so, as part of those energy deals, there was the downstream sector, obviously, development of petrochemicals. and and other related products uh, for plastics, et cetera. Um, it's the big thing. We've been reporting on it for some time, particularly from Abu Dhabi's perspective, that you know the, the downstream segments becoming more and more important. It's all about value-add, uh, not just relying on the sale of crude, but on uh, producing uh, products that give them better margins. Uh, Sultan al-Jabra, the chief executive of Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, was, was, is in Riyadh or was in Riyadh yesterday uh, and was speaking on a panel. You were covering it. Um, and he was talking about how the Middle East is going to be, you know, a real center for, for pet chems. And some of these deals that you're talking about in terms of Saudi Aramco are also related to downstream. So I imagine that, you know, the Saudi is, is quite a big, um, opportunity for a lot of companies looking to invest in downstream. And to a certain extent, I know Adnok and, and Saudi Aramco are partnering in a refinery in India, for example. It, it, it seems to be an interesting juxtaposition where, You'd think they're, com- they're competing, but at the same time, they kind of realize that now's the time for the whole region to grow its petrochemical capabilities while the demand is there in China and Southeast Asia and elsewhere.
3: I think, uh, GCC, uh, unproducing nations as a whole are, are more of a unit than, than the competing entities. At the end of the day, uh, all of them want to, to get the maximum out of every, every barrel they are producing. This is a message that uh, uh, Dr. Sultan Al-Jabbar gave, uh, and he predicted uh, uh, about 60% growth in petrochemicals by 2050. Uh, the message from uh, uh, Saudi energy minister was the same, uh, you know, uh, thinking about how to, to to cater to the demand. And uh, his message was, was also about the gas developing and becoming a a major factor in the energy mix. So the cooperation is, is inevitable. Uh, but yes, uh, coming to Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Aramco, uh, they want to do what ADNOC is doing as well, uh, trying to get the maximum value out of every barrel they're producing. Uh, so investments in downstream, investments in petrochemicals, refining sector, this is all they want. And the people like total are, are there to help them with that uh, So, so it's the second day of the, the conference
2: it's a three day event uh, w- looking forward now, what are the main highlights um today and tomorrow that you're that you're potentially focusing
3: on? The biggest highlight is uh a conference Mohammed bin salman is going to uh to address the delegates uh, along with uh, uh the conference of Bahrain, and that session is going to be at 5.30. I'm sure uh, the doors will be closed after the planning session way before that, because yesterday when uh, uh, the conference of Saudi Arabia made the appearance, uh, the hall was literally brimming. So uh, that is one, and then you have Saad uh, uh, Haridi who is uh, also speaking uh, at an event, and we have an uh, uh, economy session that I'm sure is going to garner a lot of interest. It's uh, it's basically a lot of people. Uh, you know, some said that uh, you know some of the top executives not attending the the event. Uh, some of the top executives that is from the, the international banks not attending have taken some gloss of uh, of the event, but it isn't the case. The amount of people there. It's even the bankers, the regional, uh, your your J D. Morgans, your Credit series, Your Morgan Stanley's, your HSBC's, your Standard Charter, all of them are there. So the message is very clear. Uh, The mood is very clear. The banks want to to maintain their relationship with the kingdom. And uh, I think uh, uh, it's as glossy as uh, it was last year. It's just missing a few names.
2: Certainly, Khan Riyadh, thanks so much. Good luck with what should be a very busy day.
0: More business extra in just a moment, but first allow me to tell you about our other podcasts, The Cricket Pod, the latest of our incarnations, comes from our specialised cricket team, looking at the gentleman's game and the latest developments there, as well as Beyond the Headlines, which takes the biggest news with, and looks at it from a Middle Eastern point of view. Download those as well as this one on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio content. Uh, now, earlier, we had just heard from Saramud Khan down in Riyadh. Um, we were talking a little bit about um, sort of oil and gas, petrochemicals, downstream, and all of that is tied into that conversation about peak oil. When will peak oil demand be? Um, the, at, in Riyadh, um, we heard from Sultan al Jaber and also Khalid al-Faleh, um, and they said that... Uh, perhaps oil demand was growing, that it would cross very soon 100 million barrels per day in terms of demand. Production is not far behind. But, you know, beyond that, uh, some of the consumer and industrial trends that will be playing off of that include aviation. Mm. And there's Mm -hmm. been some big news this week, Chris, in terms of, you know, Dare I say it, electric flying planes?
1: Electric planes, yes, it's the future. I'm um, uh, sorry,
0: planes always fly. Well, yes. They I do. said electric flying yeah, planes. But yeah, yes. They do.
1: Hopefully, not electric crashing planes. No. Definitely not. No, no, no let's, no, let's no. not even introduce the no, idea of that. No. no, I mean, as you say, with, with the growth of, uh, of oil output coming along, it's not, it's not going to be um, necessarily uh, fueled, if you'll pardon the pun, by um, an increase in the, the amount of oil being burned. Um, just to produce energy. It's obviously, um, you know, the, the, there's so much massive investment in upstream capabilities, refining pet this, that, and the other. So we've, we've moved well away from just getting out of the ground and selling it to somebody to burn in their engine.
0: But where are we in terms of electric aviation? Well, I mean, is its is it, let's pun again, is it pie in the sky?
1: Uh, no, it's definitely not pie in the sky because for a start, the first electric plane has already flown. Okay, it was only a two-seater, but... Um, and it was flown by uh, the Norwegian, um, I can't remember what he was now, but somebody, uh, the Norwegian tran- then transport minister um, in June uh, flew this two- inaugural two-seater electric plane. And that, But that's part of the plans of the airport operator Avinor um, to to launch the first commercial aircraft within the next decade. Um, so is it pie in the sky? No, because they're, they're already flying one. Um, and then you, you look at, uh, other major players, um, tech, German tech giant Siemens, has partnered with Airbus, and they intend to introduce a regional electric aircraft by 2028. 20, and by 2035, they aim to have a short-range aircraft, such as the A320, operating with an electric power range of 20 megawatts. So, they are, and uh, by Boeing are doing exactly the same kind of thing, investing an awful lot. They have uh, electric aircraft technology, although it's hybrid at the moment um, for journeys of 500 miles or less, for smaller aircraft. Um, And they've, of course, put a lot of money into a company called Zunum Aero, which is on track to deliver its first electric aircraft in the early 2020s. And it's already got an order for 100 electric aircraft from JetSuite. So these are, these are real things.
0: Can you, can, I mean, because I, I hate to come across as sort of a sceptical Luddite here, but, you know, I think it's probably just more my, my, my terror of getting, getting into something that I don't know for sure if um, <laughs> it's going to work out. But um, my personal issues aside, um, can, do you compare it to sort of electric aviation to electric cars? Will it be a similar trajectory or is it something else that no, drives it? No, it? it
1: won't be. It will not be as fast primarily because it's so much bigger. Aircraft are so much bigger, require so much more power. So it will be a much slower um, move to. to uh to, for them to become commercial reality, I think. Um,
0: Do we need a Tesla equivalent in electric aviation? I mean, no. I know it's not consumer. <laughs> it's not really a consumer thing. You know, it's, it's the Rolls-Royces and, and, and GEs that are building the engines yeah. for conventional planes. Yeah. Were they the same people that would end up building the I think the, the electric would. engines, the I think, turbines?
1: I think they probably would. And that's primarily based on, on the fact that they are so far ahead in, in, in aviation um, uh, engines that I don't think anybody else is near enough to be able to, for instance, say to, um, I don't know, say to uh, Bombardier or something, look, we've developed this electric engine, you can put it in your planes, I, I don't think Bombardier would say, I'm sorry, I've never heard of you. I'm not going to do that. You know, If GE does it or if Rolls-Royce does it, then they're much more likely to go, yeah, okay.
0: And we've talked about electric cars before, and for example, brands like Volvo saying, we're going to go fully electric Mm-mm. at some point in the near future and making these kind of commitments. I mean, as you say, it'll be slower in aviation, but it, it might require you know a, one of these big guys to say, you know what, we're going to have a completely electric range you know, by, by whatever, 2030 or 2035, yeah. be ready for it, um, and to make that kind of commitment for yeah. it to, to actually become a reality.
1: Yeah. Well, and also, the, I think that's very true, and also it's based on the back of some, some pretty basic um, numbers, really. I mean, uh, by 2036, around 7.8 billion passengers are forecast to fly globally each year, which is double 27 levels. Um, however, air transport at the moment accounts for 2% of, uh, of global greenhouse gas emissions, which is projected to hit 20, uh, t- hit 10% by 2050. So there are other pressures on that, but given such a massive market for passengers, combined with that pressure to reduce um, emissions and outputs, I think provides, um, provides the, the, the catalyst, if you like, to, to keep these uh, developments going faster rather than just be put on the back burner and forgotten about them.
0: I mean, I forgive my mood, but I mean, it's just, it's sort of, the, the environmental thing is is really important. Of course it is. I'm not trying to dismiss it, but it, we've, we've been here before with renewable energy. We've been here before with electric cars where we said, you know, it's about emissions. It's it's about, you know, being more green. That's going to drive this. But it never does because, you know, ultimately the developed world can't keep asking the developing world to to miss out on stages of of consumer development you know and saying well we've had our time and we're ready to be green now and so you have to be too Um, and they can't afford it first of all and secondly it's sort of being dictated to them so in the same way that you know consumers in india and china aren't about to be you know saying i'm not going to have my car or i'm not going to take my flights Mm -hmm. um, there has to be more of a kind of business rationale the industry has to be ready and it has to be profitable. Absolutely. Before, before that, it's a reality. Yeah, in all
1: cases. of course. Yeah, absolutely. I think using the electric car, I think with the rapid uh, development of, of batteries and the, the way costs are coming down, the, the, way it's gonna, the way you sell it to a third uh, developing country is do you say, well, it's cheaper than a petrol version?
0: And when it is a cheaper than a petrol version, then then we'll talk kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. But at the same with, with, with electric planes have to be, I mean, either the price of jet fuel has to triple, mm. right, mm-hmm. and, and stay that way for 10 to 20 years, yeah. or, um, you know, there, there has to be other reasons for it. Yeah. Um, that, w- that It just becomes uh, either they can sell it for more or... They, can, they get yeah. more margin out of it. I don't know. I mean, it's going to take a while, I
1: think, to get there. Well, there could also be the introduction of, you know, particularly from possibly the EU, you know. Regulation, how, sure. Yeah, yeah. How, how is the carbon tax going to affect, a, you know, an airline? If you, if, you know, some airline says, you know, if the EU turns around and says you can't use our airspace unless you're, Emissions are X, Y, or Z. Yeah, I know,
0: I know. And, and, and that probably could give it a kickstart. But again, you know, the, the, coming back to politicians are, a, shall we say, not necessarily uh, the, mo- the most uh, linear bunch. Um, you know, they, they, they offer a, a, an incentive uh, one term and the next term they take it away. Mm. They put in a carbon tax and then, and then somebody, uh, and his name sounds like Frump, comes along and says, <laughs> I'm not having that tax you know let's make yeah. ourselves great again so yeah politics and regulation can help up to a point but until the
1: business rationale
0: comes in then then it, i think i think i'll be and, getting on my my big
1: boeing yeah, and airbus i think you make a good point and and just just today we hear that um germany is now uh, about to in fact relax its rules on banning diesel cars by 2030 um particularly, weirdly enough, in the most polluted uh, cities. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean,
0: that could also be because, you know, we've kind of gone backwards in diesel, right? We thought after Dieselgate, we now know that diesel ain't as clean as we Mm. thought it was. Mm. So we kind of have to recognize that maybe we're not as far advanced as we were. I mean, there's a lot of recalculating. Yeah. In the wake of, of that, of, of of where we actually are in terms of emissions yeah, so. and, and, and how green we can be. We yeah, have to be realistic.
1: Stories like electric planes and, and stuff, you know, as did, you know, when the first LEAF came out. Oh, how long ago was that? 12 or 15 years? I don't know. Made huge headlines. The Nissan LEAF. Yeah. yeah. Made, made They make massive headlines and everybody gets very excited. And then you realize how much work there is to do, how much it costs to actually develop these things. And they kind of slow up a bit, so we'll we'll see what happens. But it's not going to be quick.
0: No, saying. but let, but let me say, uh, I'm not I'm not trying to uh, dampen uh, the excitement. Um, it, there is there is a lot going on, and there's there's a lot of innovation and R and D happening. And it is only a matter of time. It is a matter of uh, when rather than if. Uh, Chris Nelson, thanks so much for being with me. It's a pleasure, Mustafa. You've been listening to the Business Extra podcast. Thanks for being with us. Please do join us again next time.